you have your Bibles, you can turn to Psalm 124, and while you're getting there, uh, I wanted just to, to ask you a, sort of a question to begin the message. Does anyone here get excited when they have that opportunity to call the helpline to talk with customer service. You know what I'm talking about? When you've got to make something right on a bill that's messed up or something like that, and you need to call customer service. Does anybody get excited, like legitimately, like, I could meet a new friend today, sort of excited when you get to make that call? Is there anybody? I rarely talk to anybody who is. We got a couple of hands maybe flirting going up a little bit. Uh, we'll talk to you afterwards. We got special counseling for you. Here's my general observation. Almost nobody wants to make that call. And I think the reason is because at the very best, you might get an answer to your question. You might get your problem resolved. But at the worst, you may be in for a real journey. In our house, whenever somebody has to make the customer service call, my wife and I, we put our heads together. We begin to, to, to negotiate a little bit the pros and cons of maybe why she should do it or maybe why I would do it. The negotiation continues for a little while, and then I make the call. Just... Mainly because I choose to. I think it's my responsibility, right? So I make the call. We do that. One time I was doing this with a, a certain telecommunications company, and I don't want to embarrass any names or anything. Maybe somebody here even works for this telecommunications company. Uh, but since, since I wanna, don't, don't want to you know, reveal the name, I'll just disguise it. We'll call them Verizon, okay? <laughs> so I had, to make a, I had to make a call to, to Verizon, and... Um, we were dropping some service uh, that we were going to have, we had previously had, and we didn't need anymore, so we were, I was going to call just a you know, fairly simple thing. I don't want to keep paying for something that we didn't need. So I was talking to the good folks at Verizon, and I was trying to discontinue this service, and it really didn't start very badly. You know, a pleasant person took my name, account information, they put me on hold once or twice, they asked me some information, all the normal kind of things. And uh, then when we got to the end of the call, and this is the place where you know what you're hoping for is, I was happy to do that for you. Is there anything else I can help you with today? No, thank you. Okay, have a good day. And you go your separate ways. We got to the end of the call, and the, the, the wonderfully pleasant person said, um, oh, and that's never the sound you want to hear. You know, like, oh, it looks like this is something I'm actually not able to do. I need to transfer you to another department. So I said, oh, okay, I'm a pleasant guy. You know, I'm like, okay, no problem, whatever. So chance me over. And I had the same conversation again, exchanged my information, gave that put on hold once or twice, da, da, da. We got to the end of that call again, and the person goes, oh. And I was like, oh. <laughs> and they said, it looks like this is actually something I'm not able to do. I've got to transfer you to a different department. And I was like, uh-oh, I don't like how this is going. So we do this the third time. I don't remember how many times. This literally went on and on and on. If my goal had been to meet people, I would have met a lot of the folks at the customer service department in Verizon, you know, that day. So one of the times in the middle of this call, I see my wife walk by, and I'm not sure, but there's just a tiny little, tiny little smile on her face. Tiny little, like she would deny it, but it was tiny, it was there. And then I go through the whole thing again. Oh, I'm sorry, we're going to have to transfer you to another department. I'm getting like sick. This is crazy. And I watch one of my children walk by, and they look distinctly older and more mature than when I started the call. <laughs> and I'm thinking, my whole life is, is flashing before me while I'm on this, this call. Now, I honestly don't remember how many times this happened, but I literally just got bounced from department to department to department to department to department. I finally... Lovely person gets on the phone, very happy to help me today. Can I just share my name and information? And I said, no. No. 
I'm not going to give you my name, and I'm not going to give you my information until you promise me. I mean, you have to promise me on something that you believe in that at the end of this call that you can do this for me. Would you promise me that? And they said, well, I'm not 100%. I said, I need to talk to a manager, somebody higher up. I got the manager online, and they, got, they went into, you know, crisis mode. They said, sir, you know, it's going to be fine. We want to help you out. Just, you know, we don't, want, we don't want angry customers. Just tell me what your name is. And I said, my name is Amy Henning. <laughs> I'm very upset. You got to get this thing fixed. Okay, so anyway, they did finally fix it. I was able to get some help. Time lost, yes. Blood pressure a little bit higher. A couple gray hairs. But we got there. Nobody likes to have to make that call, though. But there are times in our lives where we realize we need some help. We need help. We have things that we cannot do for ourselves. So if you have gotten your Ikea furniture all in a mess and a mess and, and stuff's lying all over the floor and you realize, I need someone a little bit handier than me to help me get this thing together. Maybe you had a surgery or a medical procedure recently and you probably didn't do that on yourself, right? You got somebody who is specialized and able to give you that help. Maybe you've recently had to call Verizon customer service and you needed a miracle, okay? So the people of God in this psalm that we're going to look at today... In their ascending journey, they are acknowledging in Psalm 124 a very powerful statement. Very simply is this, God has been our help. And this message has some far-reaching implications. And with God's help, we hope to bring some specific challenges and encouragements your way this morning. And so to do that with me, we are going to tag team this message. I'm going to welcome to the platform, to the big leagues, as Josh basically said to us today, uh, someone who probably needs no introduction, uh, just a wonderful part of our staff team. Dan and Nicole have actually just finished up their fourth year on campus, which is remarkable in and of itself. We are so thankful for them. Please give a very warm welcome to Pastor Dan Min, who's going to walk us through our first point. Yeah. Well, good morning, church. Good morning. It is good to be here with you. Special shout out to all my ACF folks. It is good to see you guys in the house. Love it. Love it. Representing strong. I love it. Um, hey, if you've been praying for us on campus, if you've been supporting us financially, prayer uh, support in any way that you have supported us, uh, hey, on the other side of campus, we want to say just a huge thank you to our church family here on this side of campus. Uh, God has done incredible, amazing things, not just in the four years, but even in this last year, we're celebrating things, and you'll hear a little bit about that uh, in just a few moments. But um, <clears throat> we brought our campus here uh, this morning. Our worship team led us, and uh, how'd you like that, man? Was that not amazing? That was <laughs> praise the Lord, praise the Lord. Uh, they have been leading us so faithfully this last year, and uh, I love that they had the opportunity to lead this side of the family. But um, we don't want to just bring the campus here. We want to bring some practices here as well that we do on campus, particularly for the duration of this series, because, again, we're running parallel uh, with uh, our, our mother church here on this Real Faith series. And um, you may already know this, but these Psalms of Ascents were songs that were sung out loud together by the community of God, by the people of God as they ascended into the city of Jerusalem. I mean, they were the original road trip songs. I mean, this was the cassette tape you would pop in and they would sing these songs and, and they, would sing, they would sing together. And so I'm not going to attempt 
to sing this psalm together, but what I'd like for us to do uh, that we've been doing on campus is reading it aloud together. And so uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Psalm 124. If you have it open, just kind of leave it open there for a moment. Uh, I'm going to be reading out of the English Standard Version. If you have a digital device, I would maybe encourage you to flip over to that version so we can read in sync together. Uh, If you don't have an ESV Bible, don't worry. We'll put it up here on the screen for you to read along with us. And... um, We're going to read eight verses. That's all it is. These Psalms of Ascent are are short passages. Psalm 124 will start from the very top. So, church, if you don't mind, would you go ahead and stand to your feet in the honor of God's word and in the reading of his word? And we'll start from the top and read it all the way through, picking up from verse 1. Hear the word of the Lord. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, let Israel now say, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side... When people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive when their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away. The torrent would have gone over us. Then over us would have gone the raging waters. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken. And we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Thank you, church. You guys can have a seat. Friends, today, by the help of God's grace and with with tag teaming the pulpit here today, we want to talk to you about this central idea of God being our help. God is Folks, if you gather any conclusive kind of thesis from this passage in Psalm 124, it ought to be this. You ought to land on this central theme, God is our help. Now, can can I acknowledge something that you may already be acknowledging here in this room? I fully acknowledge that as I utter those words, it can seem awfully trite, It can seem awfully cliche. It can seem, maybe for some of you, when you hear, God is your help, it might strike you as a little bit meaningless, a little insignificant. It's like, great, I get it, but I don't feel it. You ever been there? You ever read God's word and you're like, I get it, but I don't really feel it. And and that's the triteness that that I'm talking about. God is our help can seem a little trite, When we hear phrases like that. And so for the duration of our time, um, Pastor Aaron and I are going to try to unpack this concept a little bit. We're going to try to bring some clarity to this notion of God is our help. And the way we're going to do that today is by talking about what God's help is and what it isn't. I don't know about you, but for me, sometimes it helps to understand a concept in light of what it is and what it isn't. And hopefully, hopefully, by God's grace, by the end of our time, We can see this idea of God being our help as a little more than just a trite Christian saying, okay? And hopefully we can grab hold of this as a foundational truth. So let's jump right in. I want to talk about the first thing that God's help is not. Number one, God's help is not a storm-free life. God's help is not a storm-free life. You know, I once heard a pastor quoting another pastor Uh, saying these words, everyone finds themselves in one of these three categories. You're either in the middle of a storm 
or you have just come out of a storm, or you are, you are about to enter a storm. No matter how you slice it in life, storms are inevitable. It's, it is the unavoidable casualty of human life. Now, if you've lived life any length of time, you know this to be true. Furthermore, when you look at this text, when you look a little, take a closer look at this passage, I want you to notice that nowhere in today's passage does it promise us, does it even give us a vague allusion to, to this storm-free living. Friends, if you are a follower of Jesus, if you have bowed your knee to the Lordship of Christ and you follow him as your Lord and Savior, you will know that a Christian life does not guarantee you a problem-free a headache-free, a storm-free, a hakuna matata kind of life. Amen? You've lived life long, long enough. You know that it, that ain't the show. Oh, only if that were the case, right? Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. That would be amazing. But that's not the case. In fact, this passage tells us, picking up from verse 2, notice what it says. It says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side when people rose up against us, then they would have swallowed us up alive. When their anger was kindled against us. Then the flood would have swept us away, the torrent would have gone over us, then over us would have gone the raging waters. Folks, may I suggest to us this morning, we must learn to be when people, and we must quit being if people. We must learn to be when people, and we must quit being if. Far too many of us, folks, live our lives as if people. But I want you to see something. This text does not say if People rise up against us. If their anger is kindled against us, if the floodwaters come, if the torrent hits us, if the raging waters overwhelm us, it's not a matter of if, it is when they come. We must be a people of when, not if. Now, by the way, let me, let me just make this point. Isn't it interesting that for most of us sitting in this room, you might already know this. This isn't new information to you. You say, I bet there are some of us in here that are saying, yeah, yeah, I, I know that. It's when, when it comes to storms, I know it's not, not a matter of if, it's a matter of when. I get it. But folks, isn't it interesting that when life throws us a curveball, when the storms of life hit our lives hard, what's our response? What do we do? We act surprised. We act surprised. We, we, we say things like, I can't believe this is happening to me. What on, what on earth did I do to deserve this? Why I, in heaven's name is this happening to me? You see, if people get surprised when the storms of life come, when people are ready for when the storm hits. Now, that's just, that's just the first half of the point. If we start from this vantage point of being when people and acknowledging that God's help does not mean that I now live a storm-free, happy-free-go-lucky type of life. Rather, I am in some ways to expect the storms to come. Jesus said what? In this life, you will. Not you might. Not you maybe. Not cross your fingers, hope to die, and journey through life. No, he says in this life, you will have tribulations. You will, you will have trials. You will have troubles. That is not the point of God's help. And so if God's help is not a storm-free life, what is God's help? Well, here it is. God's help is his presence in the midst of the storm. God's help is his presence in the midst of the storm. Did you catch the opening lines of this passage? I wonder if we just kind of glossed over it. 
Notice what the opening lines of this passage reads. It says, if it had not been the Lord who was on our side. On the other end, uh, on the other side of this covenant in Romans chapter 8, it tells us that who is on our side? God. The living God, the living, breathing God who has fashioned the universe is on your side. That ought to be enough to get you up in the morning, church. The God who is the, 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 the maker of all heaven and earth, that God is on our side. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side, and then I love this little clause here. Let Israel now say, it's almost as if the psalmist is saying, hey, listen, let me remind you of this truth lest you forget in the face of the storms of your life. Let me remind you. Let Israel now say, hey, come, come. Let, let me remind you of this truth. If it had not been the Lord who was on our side. God's help does not eliminate the storm. What God's help does is it inserts his presence in the middle of the storm. Let me try to unpack this here for a quick moment. When we think of God's presence in our lives, right? We, we use that language for those of you who are new to church. Um, that's, that's just how we Christians talk. You know, we say some weird things, the presence of God, right? So when we talk about God's presence in our lives, the truth is many of us might feel a bit unsure as to what his presence in our lives actually means. Like we, we talk about it, we, we preach about it, we sing about it, but we're like when it really comes, when the rubber meets the road, maybe for some of us, we're a little unsure of what God's presence in our lives actually ought to look like, what it actually means. If I were to kind of liken it to something, I would liken it to, um, say, vitamins. Vitamins, okay? Go with me here for just a minute, church. My wife came home from a, a Sam's Club run, and uh, she does that often. Rotisserie chicken there is awesome. So, hey, just a little free promo. Sam's Club, pick up the rotisserie chicken. But she came home one day, and she plopped a big Sam's Club size of men's multivitamins on my bathroom counter. And she said, "Hun." You eat like a trash can, you ought to balance that out. Okay, here, just take some, take some multivitamins. You ain't getting any younger, so you, you got to take care of your body, right? And so she, she said, take these two a day, and, and so I've been faithfully taking them, you know, and, and, I, and it's, it's been good. And church, i gotta, I got to say to you, if they were not sugar-coated, berry-flavored, gummy vitamins, I would not be taking them, okay? Uh, just, just full transparency, if they were those Flintstone, you know, you remember, like, those Flintstone, it's like chewing on chalk, like, remember? that like that i i'm homie down I, I ain't playing with that you're like that just keep that away stay away from me devil like and so we eat so we're we're eating this we're eating this we're we're you know and so my wife she picks up the equivalent of you know she picks up a women's multivitamin thing and she's she's like hey i'm not just preaching this you know like i'm gonna do it too we need to be doing this taking care of our bodies and that's awesome a couple weeks pass by we're taking this taking this you know two every day and she leans over to me she says hey on do you notice any difference? Like, you feel any, do you feel differently after taking all these vitamins? I said, babe, absolutely not. <laughs> I feel zero difference. I feel the same level of energy, the same feeling of, of just drudging through life, and, and I feel no different. And she says, yeah, me too. <laughs> but she says, but you know what? We should probably still keep taking them because it's good for us. And folks, I wonder if that's how we perceive God's presence in our lives. Many of us acknowledge that God's presence is a good thing. In fact, it's something that we ought to seek after. 
We acknowledge that it is a good thing, but I wonder how many of us would actually be able to identify the difference God's presence makes in our lives. Now, let me just clarify. I'm not talking about the omnipresence of God. You know, there's a, there's a theological construct, an understanding of the omnipresence of God, right? That God is present everywhere in a universal sense. God is not confined to flesh and bones, but he is spirit, and so God is everywhere. I'm, not, I'm talking about a, experiencing a personal encounter with God's presence. And so, yes, God is everywhere in a theoretical sense. But, folks, this series isn't about theoretical faith. This is about real faith. And, folks, I want to tell you today, this morning... That God's presence makes a real difference in our lives. God's presence makes a real, not a theoretical sense, not in a conceptual way, but a real difference in our lives. And it's important that we get this. And the reason why I'm addressing this is because, listen, if God's help doesn't take away the storm, and what God's help is, is his presence in the midst of the storm, we've got to wrestle with the question, how is God's presence going to help my situation? If God's help doesn't come by way of eliminating the storm and making my life a little bit easier, rather, he simply gives us his presence in the middle of the storms of our lives, we're left asking the question, how is God's presence supposed to help my situation? When push comes to shove, that's the question that many of us are going to be left with because the truth is this. There are many of us right here, even in this room, that are staring right into the eyes of the storms of your life. And we're saying things like, this seems like an impossible situation. There ain't going to be nothing to help this situation. This is, the, this is the end of me. And we're looking into the eye of the storm, and we say things like, God is your help. Pastor Aaron and I, we're pastors coming to you being like, God is your help. His presence is your help in the midst of your storm. And I know the question that a lot of us are asking, How? How? How is God my help in my divorce that I am going through this this incredibly difficult season? How is God's presence supposed to help my cancer that is eating away at my body? How is God supposed to be my help in trying to raise kids and not knowing what I'm doing? It feels like my life is unraveling before me. How, pastor, is God supposed to be my help? How's his presence? Am I, how is God's presence supposed to be my help when I don't have a single clue what I'm doing after I graduate in like a week? <laughs> right? How? That's the question that a lot of us are left with. Now, I hope, I hope you walk away with a sufficient answer by the end of our time here this morning. Hang with us. And this is where Pastor Aaron is going to take us into the next portion of the psalm that may help us come closer to this place of resolve. Thanks, Dan. We only have 17 more points to do, <laughs> so we should be fine. Uh, stick with us. No, this is important. How do, we, how do we wrestle with this reality of God's help and his presence? And I think many of us could probably give some, some fine textbook answers. God comforts us with his help. He sustains us in the midst of trials. We can even embrace this reality that Dan, I think, has very articulately said to us this morning, that God's help doesn't mean a storm-free life. So when we begin to understand that and wrestle with that, here's what I think is the challenge with then applying God's help to my life. This is our next point. God's help is not always obvious. It's not always obvious. 
So much so that there are people right now who don't even know much about God and certainly have not committed their heart and their life to God. To, to God. And you say, man, why does it seem like things are working out? Guess what? God is helping them. They just don't know it. God's help is not always obvious. But I want to see something with you in this psalm that is really quite special. In, in verse 6 and, and beyond, it says, Blessed be the Lord who has not given us as prey to their teeth. We have escaped like a bird from the snare of the fowlers. The snare is broken and we have escaped. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. Do you see what the people of God are doing? In the reality of the uncertain future, in the reality of all kinds of weather through which they're going to have to travel and sing this song of ascent, they're, they're reflecting back on the faithfulness of God that they have seen thus far. So as the people of God and people who want to be serious about understanding God's presence in our life and his help in his life, one of the best things that we need to do is to be able to take a look back. And as we look back and see in remembrance what God has done, it gives us faith as we look to the future that is coming. This is really, really helpful for us, and it helps us. Now, I want to just acknowledge something. When we talk about God as our help, I'm sure even this morning this is evoking a mixed response in this group. If, for example, you have just seen God act for your benefit in a way that is almost inexplicable, you just know that God showed up in a special way, then this phrase, God is our help, you're sitting there saying, amen, man, preach, keep going, this is exciting for me. But maybe you're in a place of frustration. Maybe you're in a place where you're hurting, where you're waiting, where you're wondering, so the phrase, God is our help, it may cause you to feel very cynical. I'm going to actually share with you a quote from Eugene Peterson, and I'm, I'm particularly encouraged to share this with you because I've been on both sides of this quote. He's speaking as a pastor who hears the things that people are going through and, and sometimes the cynicism that is evoked there, but I can speak also as the person who's been in that place, have said, man, I don't exactly see what God is doing here. This is his quote. He says, throughout the week, I get case histories of family tragedy and career disappointment, along with pessimistic recounting of world events. The concluding line is a variation on the theme. How do you explain that, you who are so sure that God is for me? He goes on to say this, I am thrust into the role of a clerk in the complaints department of humanity. Asking to trace down bad service, listen sympathetically to aggrieved patrons, try to put uh, right any mistakes that I can and apologize for the rudeness of the management. I want to ask you this morning, how do we keep our own hearts from becoming hard and cynical? How do we sing along with this psalm of ascent? Well, we said before, God's help is not obvious, but it is still a profound reality. And this is what, if we can just catch a glimpse of it this morning, I'm going to walk you through three sort of phases of this reality that I hope will build faith and encourage your heart this morning. Let's look at these sort of three phases or three realities of God's help. First, on a personal level, I want you just to ask the question right now, let's workshop this for a second, okay? Okay. Take a moment right now and think about this question. Has God ever helped me in any way? Now, I realize this question may sound a little bit elementary or maybe even a little bit, has God ever helped me in any way? But really think about it for a moment. Begin to catalog in your heart and your mind. Has God ever helped me in any way? I guarantee you, if you're sitting here wrestling with cynicism this morning, your, your reaction may be to say, don't ask me that question. I don't want to go there. 
Has God ever helped me in any way? Now, here's what I want you to do with that. If your answer is yes, may I encourage you to simply cherish that account with gratitude. It may be that very evidence of God's grace in your life, and it might be an overdue remembrance exercise that you probably should do. We all need to do that, to go down that road of saying, where are those places that I know of in which God has helped me? Where might I build altars of remembrance along the way as I recall God's faithfulness to me? Does that take away the frustration of your immediate situation? No. It simply allows us to look back and to build faith over that which God has done. I would, I would ask you to take this very seriously. Maybe, especially some of you are coming to the end of your college career and you're thinking about what's next. And while that can be a daunting experience, you might look back and think, what has God done over these last three, four, five, six, I don't know, formative years of my college experience, and you might be really surprised at the significant places where you've seen the presence of God and the help of God at work. So there's a personal element to that. So if that's your, if that's your yes, that's your yes. If, you, if your answer is no, I would ask you not to despair. This message isn't over yet. In fact, I want to share with you just one example in my own life of a place where I saw God at work. I was a young man. I was just out of my freshman year at Penn State University. I got a job, not a job that I would want to do the rest of my life, but it was a great summer job. I was working in a factory making good money. Good rem- the guys there said, this is a good reminder of why you want to go back to school. I said, yeah, okay, I'll go back to school and everything. But I was doing this job. It was a second shift job, so I worked from like uh, 1 or 2 in the afternoon till 11 at night. Uh, And what I was hoping that I could do, because God was getting a hold of my life, there was a Bible study that I wanted to be a part of. And that was happening on Friday nights. And so I started praying, God, could you help me get a different shift so I could still have this job but be able to go to this Bible study? Does that not seem like a pretty noble uh, prayer request, right? Hey, God, I want to go to a Bible study. I want to learn more about you, right? So that's, that's a good thing. So I started praying. I went and I talked to, to the HR department at the factory, and I said, hey, is there any chance I get my shift uh, moved? And they said, we can't make any promises. We'll look into it. I said, that's good enough. I'll keep on praying. And so I'm, I'm asking the Lord. Any Jesus-loving person that I met, I said, hey, I got a prayer request. You can pray for me. So my newfound faith, you know, I'm asking the Lord for help. And guess what? I got a call. I got a call from the HR department. And guess what they said? We don't need all the college help anymore, so this is going to be your last day. And I was like, wait, what was that now? You know, I mean, I'm having this internal dialogue with God. Like, you know, I thought it was pretty, pretty clear. You know, my request maybe got crossed in the signals or something like that. But I, I thought I was pretty clear. I was like, shift change, not like job loss. That's a little different. What are you going to do? So I was wrestling with it a little bit. Well, here's, what, here's the interesting thing that happened. You know, the, the next week, our family was taking a little trip. We were doing some time, and I had the time. So I uh, went along, and we were visiting, doing some family uh, vacation stuff with another family. And my buddy and I that were same age and the other family, we were, uh, we're talking about our summer stuff. And I told him about the stuff I was going through. He's like, oh, man. He said, I'm having the opposite problem. He said, I'm doing uh, this work that I feel like I'm never going to get done. I need, we need more help with this job that we're doing. Um, and the pay is really good, and you get to work outside, so every day is kind of like a picnic and everything like that. And I said, man, it's too bad. I wish I could think of some solution for you. And we went our separate ways. No, <laughs> we didn't. We were smart. We, put our, we said, wait a minute. Uh, so we put our heads together. I ended up working the rest of the summer with him. I made better money, better conditions, all that kind of stuff. And guess what? I got to go to that Bible study that I wanted to go to. Now, I wish every circumstance in life, don't you wish everything was like a one-week turnaround with God, you know? Dilemma, don't fully understand God's help, and then, oh, perfect, that's even better than I thought. 
that. It's not always like that. And yet we look back at the places where we see, man, God answered that prayer. He did it in a way that I did not fully expect, but he was present with me. He was teaching me to learn to appreciate his faithfulness. Now, i got all kinds of circumstances right now in real time that I'm working through. I don't know how they're going to end. I don't know what the, I don't know what the happy you know, kind of situation might kind of arrive at. And yet I'm building on the faith as I look back. So that's kind of at the personal level. Now, I want you to see something else. Though. There's a corporate level to God's help. In fact, you might notice this, that the pronouns in this psalm, they don't say I, me, and my. They say things like we, us, and our. You see, this psalm is actually a corporate statement of God's faithfulness, and it is revealing probably that up until this point in the message, most of the ideas that you have had about God's help and that I have maybe had about God's help have been about me. And yet when you look at the psalm, we're talking about a corporate sense of God's faithfulness. Has God been our help in a corporate sense? Has he preserved his name in the faithful witness of his people throughout the generations? Has he expanded his work and impacted his collective people? Many of us would say, well, yeah, he probably has in some way. Let me give you another example. If you had a personal example of a way, one way that God has helped you, would you just raise your hand right now? Just raise your hand. Now I want you to look around this room. See, you've got hundreds of points of data that you've got to kind of contend with in a corporate sense to say, wait a minute, it seems that God, at least on some level, is helping his people. And Dan actually had an example of some things that you've been seeing on campus in that same regard, how God's building faith. So this corporate level of seeing God's help is so powerful, and we see it in in so many different kind of intersections on campus. Um, you know, life group at midweek, at um, family time, at retreats, right? Like for those of you ACFers, you got to, you know, family time is, is you know, this time where we just kind of testify in, in a corporate way in front of all 60 to 70 of their friends. Hey, here's how God has been helping me. Here, here's how God has been working in my life. But e- even more so than that, I want to point to a recent occasion where we've seen this, where uh, we have a baptism service at the end of every semester. And uh, last baptism service, we had six people stand up and say, I want to go public with my faith. I want to get baptized and, and commit following my life, you know, going after Jesus. And praise God, it was an incredible service. Six people getting baptized. And, uh, and, and each person, when they get up, um, they share their story. They share their testimony. They share, hey, hey, here's what God has been doing in my life, and here's why I've decided to get baptized, right? And uh, I've told each student, you guys have five minutes. That just went in one ear out the other. They didn't listen. They said, I heard 20 minutes, so I'm going to do that. Like, that that's cool. That, so they, and so we didn't end until like midnight. It was an incredible time, incredible service. Um, and, and in that service, one of the baptizees invited their friend to come and just be a part of it. This friend had no church experience, no church background at all. In fact, the only time they have stepped foot into a church was for a wedding. They, you know, they have zero faith background. They didn't even know what a baptism service was. They came. It was like, my friends invited me. I'll go. They came, and upon hearing the corporate testimonies of how God has been the help of all of these people that, that he's, he's listening to, his life gets rocked. God gets a hold of his heart that night. A couple of days later, he's having all of these, like, faith crisis moments, and he's talking to his friend who just got baptized a couple of nights ago, and, he, and, and this friend is like, I don't know what's happening to me. I feel like my life is just kind of spinning, like, really in a crazy way. 
I end up sitting, sitting with him and, and, and his friend at Panera. We're having a conversation. And he's like, Dan, I, I don't know how to explain it, but like, I feel like my life is like changing from the baptism service. I was like, dude, that's, that's God getting a hold of your life. Like that, that is God reaching into the depravity of your life and pulling you up out of that pit. He's like, I think you're right. So what do we do? I said, well, let's, let's pray. Let's go to God with this. Right there, led him to the Lord. He came to Christ a week ago. Like, no, like a few days ago, right? The dude got baptized. Like, and, and but listen, here, here's what I'm trying to say. And he's here. I don't want to embarrass you. I love you. I'm not going to embarrass you. Um, we've embarrassed him enough this, this uh, last couple of weeks. But, but listen, here's what I'm trying to say. There is power in acknowledging God's help on a corporate level. When you, ha- when you are having a hard time recognizing how has God been my help, look around at all the hands that were raised. How can I deny that God is at work in the world? See, that, that, that's, that's what Pastor Aaron was talking about, that, that corporate R. We're in this together. Like, we're going after this together. There's power in that corporate sense. So, so I just want to feed that and, and encourage ACFers, right? That, that's, we walk through that. Um, and that's, man, our faith gets built up yeah. big time that way. That's awesome. And our faith is built up with you guys being here today even. So it's incredible to see what God is doing at a corporate level. Has God helped us? Let me go take it one step farther, though, and then I'm going to wrap up with this thought. Um, God's help at an even higher level. What's the grandest view of God's help. Now, Dan said a few minutes ago, well, it's not a storm-free life. It can feel very trite to say, oh, God, maybe God will help you or whatever. But look at this. Every time that my faith gets really kind of wimpy and flimsy and I, I start to whine or whatever, oh, this is my circumstance I'm in right now. I don't know if God cares. I don't know if he understands. Here's what we got to do with that reality. I've got to think about this. Scripture tells us many things that we've said this throughout the series that actually give us a better view of the truth of this psalm than the psalmist who wrote it. Because we are reading it from the vantage point on this side of the cross, on this side of the resurrection, on this side of the establishment of the church and the giving of the Holy Spirit. So what does that mean? It means that God did not leave us in a distant place from him, but he came near to our brokenness and sinful people living among us. God came to be with us. Now here I am over here. I'm upset about my little problem. Does God really care? Has God ever helped me? But God moved heaven and earth to be with us. Secondly, that Jesus did not leave us lost in our sin, but carries the weight of that sin to the cross where he gives his life as a ransom for many. So here I am in my, in my situation. I says, God help me as he didn't really care about all this. But look how far he's already come. Look at the price he has already paid. Look at what he has done for us. Think about this, that Jesus leaving his fledgling organization and saying, hey, go ahead and continue this, world to win, this work to win the world for me. And he sends the Holy Spirit, the paraclete. This who would be the advocate, the counselor, and specifically, Jesus says, I'm going to send you a helper. And here I am. Has God done anything for me? And when I get my eyes up off of my myopic view, not saying that this isn't painful, not saying that this isn't hard, not saying that this isn't real. When I get my eyes up and I start to see, wow, look what God has done. Look at the distance that he has covered. Look at the price that he has paid. 
So yeah, God's help, it's not storm-free, and it's not always obvious, but this reality of God's help, it was so deeply ingrained in the life of the believer that this psalm actually ends by stating without any equivocation, our help is in the name of the Lord who made heaven and earth. We think that's kind of a neat clue for us to conclude on. So I'm going to ask Dan if he would wrap us up at this point. Folks, don't miss this. As we land this plane, I don't want us to zoom past it. I want us to to land on this last verse of this passage, on verse 8. Our help is in the name of the Lord. I wonder if the psalmist had something in mind when he wrote this portion of the psalm. I wonder if he had a very specific thing in mind when he, our help is not just in the Lord in a general sense. Right, Psalm, Psalm 121, we spent a couple weeks back, our, our, our help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. But here in Psalm 124, it's very specific. Our help is in the name of the Lord. And friends, I wonder if it's because the psalmist wants us to see that God's help is intimately tied to his name. Listen. I wonder if it's because he wants us to see that the help of God does not come divorced from his name, does not come separated from his name. You want to know how God helps us? You you want to know what his presence looks like in the midst of our storms? You want to have a better handle on this profound reality of God's presence in our lives? Just look at his name. He is Jehovah Nisi. The Lord is my banner. The Lord is my victory. That means, church, God is our help. Means that God always wins. No storm of my life will win out because God is my victory. He is Jehovah Nisi. He is my banner. Not only is Jehovah Nisi, he is Jehovah Ra. The Lord is my shepherd. God as our help means that I will never be lost in the eye of the storm because I have a good shepherd who leads me through every storm of my life. He is Jehovah Ra. He is also Jehovah Rapha. The Lord is my healer. God is our help means that there is no pain too great. There is no hurt too deep, no wound that has gone too far that the healing power of God cannot cover. He is Jehovah Rapha. And please, friends, I am not trying to minimize the pains of our lives. I'm trying to elevate. I'm trying to exalt. I'm trying to magnify the size of our God. Do you understand? I'm not trying to minimize anyone's hardships here. All I'm trying to do is what we just talked about, get our eyes from down here, up there, looking on a higher level. He is Jehovah Rapha. Not only is he Jehovah Rapha, he is Jehovah Jireh. The Lord who what? Provides. The Lord who provides, which means that I am never lacking in anything. So as long as God is my provider, he is Jehovah Jireh. He is Jehovah Shalom. The Lord is my peace. How many of us need that word today? The Lord is my peace. That means I don't have to be anxious about anything. I don't have to worry about it. Jesus said it, Matthew 6, right? You know have to worry about anything because the Lord is my peace. So I don't have to worry about how I perform. All I'm called to do is simply rest in Jehovah Shalom. And here, how about this one, this last one? Jehovah Shema. Any Hebrew scholars in here? 
No, Greg is Greek. You're, 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 you're no good for Hebrew, right? We love you, Greg. I'm just kidding. Jehovah Shema. Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there. Now let that one sit for you, with you for a little while. The Lord is there. He hasn't gone anywhere. He hasn't gone anywhere. The disciples are freaking out about the storms while they're in the boat. And Jesus is right there. He's right there. He is in the embodiment of Jehovah Shema. The Lord is there. The reason why we can, be, we can rest assured that God is our help is anything but a trite statement. It's because of this truth right here. The Lord is right there. He's right there. He is right there in the midst of the storm. Now, friends, listen. In fact, worship team, you guys can make your way up here and uh, take your place here. And we're going to close out here in just a minute. Friends, when we're able to see the names of God, and, and I, I, I've only covered, what is it? One, two, three, four, five, six different names of God. Now, let me just clarify, for those of you who might be new to, to the Christian faith, I'm not saying that we serve, we worship six different gods. We serve one God who is so magnificent, so glorious, so wonderful, so beyond our human comprehension that he can be all of these things and so much more in the seasons of your life. Whatever storm, whatever trial, whatever hardship, whatever place you find yourself in, you have access to all the names of God. Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Shalom, Jehovah Shema, Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Ra. Who, we have the opportunity to call on the name of the Lord. Our help, our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Now, I don't know about you, but when I begin to see how God is my help in all of these ways, I can't help but get my praise on. In verse 6, did you catch verse 6 right in the middle there? The opening part of verse 6? What, what does the psalmist say? In the midst of all of this, he says, blessed be the Lord. Blessed be the Lord. Because when I realize that God is my help, what else is there to say? When I realize that God is all of these things in my life and he is, in, he is my help in every sense of my imagination, what else can I say but blessed be the Lord? And so that's how we're going to conclude our service, by blessing his name, by worshiping his name, by exalting his name, by recognizing that there is no other name on earth or in heaven above that is greater than the name of Jesus. That at his name, every knee should bow and every tongue confess that he is Lord.